Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Ken M, Padawan J in studio. And last night as we got done recording the sports show, news broke about the horrific tragedy that happened in Uvalde, Texas, where, as last we read, 18 people lost their lives in a Texas classroom. Yeah. And... This has been something that we honestly weren't sure if we we're going to do a show today. Right. You know, it it hit us very hard. And, I mean, obviously, if you talk to anybody on social media today, anywhere you are, it, this is one of the worst tragedies mm-hmm. I, 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 I think I can even do. Like, I... <sighs> it, it, it's hard just because, you know, you have a family, a member in your family who is very young, mm-hmm. not quite in grade school yet, but he, he's getting close. You know, I have a couple of family members who are, are very young. You know, one is starting. I think he started pre-K. He's not quite in kindergarten yet. You know, or no, no, he did start kindergarten. Excuse me. You know, so he's in kindergarten, you know, and then I got another one who is very young, you know, a couple of years away. But then on the flip side, you've got my sister who teaches and my brother-in-law who also works in administration for another school district. So this, so this definitely has home for the both of us. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's just a senseless act of violence. And we're not going to go into the politics of everything yeah. going on with this. Yeah. But what we wanted to do is open the show with a quick moment of silence and mention that in the liner notes of this podcast episode we have the link for the gofundme yeah so uh this was a gofundme started by the victims first organization uh where they are looking to raise a total of 2.5 million dollars uh, i'm going to refresh the page uh as of this recording and this is going up like every second you know so i can't give you exact numbers but as of this recording and as i'm reading it it is currently sitting at 1.7 million dollars and obviously okay you may sit there and say oh well they're close to the gold not every dollar helps these folks uh the description on the GoFundMe reads, and I quote, Our hearts are breaking for the victims and survivors of the mass shooting of the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, where two adults and children and 18 children were murdered and many others wounded, some critically. We, Victims First, a network of families of the deceased and survivors from over two decades of previous mass shootings, have started this fund to make sure that 100% of what this is collected goes directly to the victim base so the victims, families, and those wounded slash injured are protected from fraud and exploitation. We do this because our own families have been re-victimized in the past by non-profits that collect funds for themselves after a mass shooting, saying they will support the families, which is usually the legal verbiage used when donations do not go directly to the victims slash survivors themselves. We vowed this would never happen again, so families of the deceased from Columbine, Virginia Tech, Northern Illinois University, the Aurora Theater shooting, the Oak Creek Sheik Temple shooting, and Newtown uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School joined together to help establish the National Compassion Fund. With the National Center of Victims of Crime since then, families from across the nation from other mass shootings including Tucson, Vegas, Alturas, uh, Santa Barbara, Isla Vista, Roseburg and Orlando Pulse, Boulder, and others have endorsed the National Compassion Fund. We hope the National Compassion Fund will be brought in to handle these funds in Uvalde for the sake of those directly impacted. The funds collected will go to the families in cash payments with no strings attached, thereby fulfilling the intent of the donors, you. Depending on how the city of Uvalde decides to proceed, we will either join forces with them, with the National Compassion Fund, 
or distribute directly ourselves as long as your generous financial gifts go directly to the victim base, close quote. Yeah, so that being said, we are going to open with a moment of silence to remember the victims. The link for the GoFundMe is right at the top of the liner notes of this podcast. If you can donate, please donate. Consider doing it. At least share yeah. it as, yeah. at, at the very minimum. Yeah, because even if you can't donate, sharing goes a very long way. Because in moments like these, everyone wants to help. Everyone wants to, but you're not quite sure where to go. You know, so even if you, you because whatever reason, because we're not going to sit here and say, oh, you have to donate. If you can, great. Mm-hmm. If you can't, share the link on social media. Sh- send it in a text message. Send it in an email. You know, whatever you can do, anything, any little bit of news and, and able ability to spread the message helps. Absolutely. So that being said, we're going to have a moment of silence for the victims, and then we'll start the show. Our thoughts are with everybody affected by this terrible tragedy. Once again, the GoFundMe link is right in the liner notes beginning of this podcast, so please support if you can. That said, let's start the show. Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. And you are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH podcast. We have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. So definitely make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on our social media accounts. Check out the T Public Store, Parlay Points, the Classified section, the Directory, anything and everything that is the ODPH can be found there. And also remember to use that on social media, the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, we had a trailer get dropped on us. Yes. That we all more or less forgot about. Yeah, no, like they announced it was coming. I was like, oh, cool, that'll be fun to watch. And then it came out, and I was like, oh, right, this is coming out. Yeah, because we had a teaser trailer get released for the next big Marvel Cinematic Universe film Yep, that gave a lot, So, and it was more or less pretty recent, too. Like yeah. It wasn't anything that we'd been waiting a long time for. It wasn't like a No Way Home deal. It was a situation that, well, we had enough coming out about this that it was tiding over the fan base because the movie is still slated to get released in July. Mm-hmm. But then we had another trailer get released for... Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh-huh. And this is obviously the next Thor film with Chris Hemsworth reprising the role as everybody's favorite Asgardian god. Mm-hmm. And he does have some familiar faces rejoining the cast. Well, favorite Asgardian guard depends on your your ranking of him and Loki for some people. Well, that's the thing. That's but, you know. For me, you know, that's a favorite, favorite Asgardian god, so yeah, you know, I no, can't go wrong true. with that. We also have Korg returning, who is voiced by the director himself, Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. And probably the biggest surprise of all, yeah, Natalie Portman is reprising her role as Jane Foster. Mm-hmm. And obviously we knew that she has not been with the Thor or Marvel franchise for many, many years. Since at least, uh, what was it, Thor the Dark World. Mm-hmm. So, to so that's see, been at least 10 years. So to see her return is a very big deal. And we also have Christian Bale making his MCU debut as Gore the God Butcher. Uh-huh. 
So this is going to be an interesting film, obviously based off the iconic Jason Aaron run and the story involving him. Uh, his work with Thor is legendary, and like I say, the story invo- involving Gore is a huge one in the MCU, yeah. the comics universe. So we got a little more information what to expect from the film, so we're going to be breaking down the trailer. Yes. So that being said, Pat, what did you think? Thought it was a really good trailer. You know, gave us a little bit more to go on but com- as compared to the teaser trailer because, hey, it's a full trailer, not a teaser trailer. Even my phone's getting so excited or my watch is getting so excited about it. Uh, but no, it looks really good. Uh, digging the vibes, and I'm excited to see where this goes. This is probably like I was ex- obviously excited for the last Thor movie, but given the fact that you've got Natalie Portman returning for the first time in like 10 years, whatever mm-hmm. it is, that with Gore the God Butcher and everything, I'm very excited for this. I'm excited because of the Jason Aaron story. And like I said, his work with Thor, I can't stress enough. If you want to get into Thor in comics, he is a great place to start because mm-hmm. Aaron's work is fantastic. And we do dive into this trailer where you're seeing Korg talking to some children yep. about the legend of the space Viking, <laughs> Thor Odin's son. Uh-huh. Which is, I mean, it plays into the humor yeah. that Taika has brought to this franchise. Yeah. Which people really do forget. Chris, Chris Hemsworth has such impeccable comedic timing. Yes, he does. So to see it come to shine here, I mean, this is why this franchise, I think, has really exploded over the past couple of years. Where in the first two movies, it was a little debatable how this character was going to translate. First, first movie is kind of like your stereotypical origin movie, mm-hmm. you know, without giving the full-blown origin. But kind of like our our origin to the character for this universe, you know. So that was all right for what it was. But then, obviously, you go to Thor The Dark World, which is very polarizing. Some people think it's okay. Some people say it is the worst Marvel movie of all time. It's trash. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's not the greatest. It's not like high on my rewatch list, you know, but I've, I've seen it a couple of times and you know, that's fine, you know, but then you get to what, uh, when bringing in Taika for Thor Ragnarok and it's just like shot of adrenaline in the arm and reinvigorated the whole franchise. Yeah. So this is obviously kicking in with that humor. So you're already seeing it come out the gate, which I love seeing. And then you're doing seeing another shot of Thor in another battle uh-huh. where we're seeing him with the Guardians of the Galaxy and really kind of finding himself after being, dare I say, a little lost at the end of yeah, Endgame. Yeah, well, tr- lost in trying to find himself, you know, obviously at the end of uh, end of Infinity War. Mm-hmm. You know, he really blamed himself. He let himself go. He went full dad bod, you know. He got <laughs> to the, put it mildly. You know, the beard gut, the beard, you know, the drinking beer and everything else. And then, you know... Kept that for the duration of Endgame because he still blamed himself for what happened. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. You know, but then at the end of Endgame, it was like, all right, hey, I'm Valkyrie. I'm leaving new Asgard in your hands. I'm going to go on an adventure with my new friends, the Asgardians of the Galaxy, as he's calling them. Yes. So that is a very cool point to see that the Guardians are back for this. And you do see a quick glimpse. So I'm not saying they're going to be in the entire movie. No. But they're definitely making good, a good stretch so. of it. Then next in the trailer, we get a very quick shot mm-hmm. of new Asgard. Yeah. And it now turns into a tourist attraction? Yeah, because it looks like there's a Asgardian ship or something flying over the coastline. But uh, obviously, from what we saw in Endgame, things have expanded a little bit. The town is much larger. Mm-hmm. There's also three, count them, three cruise lines and one of them looks obnoxiously large, so I'm willing to bet, like, I forget what the name of it is, but Carnival's got that one that's like... Oh, the huge, it's, yeah. It's like King of the Seas, Queen of the Seas, like something of the Seas that's absolutely, like, 
fucking ginormous. It looks like that one. Mm-hmm. So obviously Carnival and some other, uh, uh, what is it? Um, cruise companies are, are doing some work and stopping in, uh, in Asgard. Well, that's the whole thing with Asgard now being new Asgard mm-hmm. and Valkyrie, who's uh, reprising the role as Tessa Thompson is now overseeing New Asgard. So this is kind of a transition page from where we've seen them in the comics. Mm-hmm. I know they kind of dabbled a little bit when they were in Oklahoma in the ones uh, oh, series. Yeah. There. Yeah. So this is yeah. obviously borrowing a little bit from that, but then being different as well. So very cool to see, though, and how they did slide that in. And then you see another shot of Thor using Stormbreaker to kind of power up a little bit. And mm-hmm. you see the workout montage, which I swear is going to be the most hysterical thing you've seen in this movie. It's going to be some 80s song, obviously, some 80s rock song. It, it's going to give you vibes of uh, Rocky. Pick your pick whichever one you want. Oh, absolutely. They're going to they're gonna go full tilt with that. Like, you see him pulling a spaceship. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I think he's pulling the uh, as the Guardian spaceship. Oh, that's right. It's the Guardian spaceship. I forgot and the it, new it, one. Yeah, it, it looks like he's doing, you know, the strongman competition where it's like, oh, hey, pull the semi-truck. Yeah, and he's doing with the chains and, instead yep. of the ropes, the, yep. the yep. sway there. Yep. So they're definitely doing to get him established back to being yeah. Thor that we know. So, I mean, it's a very cool scene. And then you do see another battle that looks like it's happening in New Asgard. And you see that Mjolnir is coming back to him, but all of a sudden is pulled away at the last second. Mm-hmm. And Pad, who is wielding Mjolnir? Uh, that is the one and only Jane Foster, a.k.a. Natalie Portman, as Lady Thor. Yes. So, obviously, if you know the Jason Aaron story, you know what Jane Foster is doing in that run. Mm-hmm. So, they're definitely borrowing that from the comics. And I do like how the trailer did something very, very subtle. Yeah. Because they show the one moment where Mjolnir is pulled back. Yep. And Thor is looking. Now, Thor is in more of a non-traditional battle armor. He's more of a... It looks like an update. It still kind of looks like the armor we're used to him wearing, but just... No, no, before that. Oh, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's subtle. Yeah. It's subtle. It looks like he's just in regular clothing for Asgardians. Yeah. And then they flash back, and then he's in a new armor. Yeah. Now, for me... This looks like the armor he had when he was cursed back in the 80s. Right. So I think they're borrowing a little bit from that. And obviously with the 80s vibe that they're trying to go with this movie, too. It makes sense. It would make sense. But like you touched upon, it's more like the modern version of his armor as well, except you can see on the sleeves, they're gold instead of silver. So it's something that they're definitely kind of mix and matching here, but it's working. And it's definitely some kind of like battle armor that like he transforms into because like a couple of seconds prior in the trailer when he's wearing the cloak, it's the same color, but it's got that like Viking, you know, fur that you would typically see on the top of a cloak. Mm -hmm. But then you cut to the shot where it's, Thor standing there going, Jane? And it, and he's got the helmet on. There is no fur on that cape. Right. So they're definitely having the face off there. And you do see that Valkyrie comes swooping in as well. And like I say, it looks like there's a very big battle happening here mm-hmm. in New Asgard. Then you get a quick shot of Jane Foster appearing in what looks like a cavern. Yeah. Almost like a hall of uh, a museum of some sort. Yeah, so like something like out of Lord of the Rings even. Yes. And then they quick shot it away, though, which I like how they're just kind of teasing a little bit. Then they say... How Jane is having this casual conversation with Thor. Yeah, like they're catching up like old friends. And she goes, oh, what's it been? Three, four years? And Thor goes, eight years, seven months, you know, and six days, give or take. Yes. So clearly, I think what we can discern from that little tidbit of line is uh, Jane was blipped. Yes. Which makes perfect sense. And obviously, Endgame is not one and done in this new phase. Everybody's still feeling the effects of it. 
and Jane Foster is a prime example of that. Mm-hmm. Then they get another shot where you see Tessa Thompson's character Valkyrie is talking with Thor, and they're catching feelings again, and they're doing a nice job of splicing in different moments throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting a full sense of what's going on here because yeah. they do show where Thor and Valkyrie are in what looks like another planet, mm-hmm. and something is going on there as well. And like I like how they're sp- they're splicing it enough yeah. to keep everybody guessing. So even with the second trailer, we're not getting everything told to us, no. which is perfect, because I don't want to have it be like a, dare I say, a Sony trailer where everything is given away typically in the movie, <laughs> like just, just how it usually goes from them. Yeah. You know, like I say, that's how we refer to it as, because usually most Sony films kind of give everything away. Not wrong. No, they're dancing around this a little bit. But then we finally get a shot of a sword, of somebody watching over a sunset. Yep. It's out in space quick. Yep. And that belongs to the one and only Gore, the God Butcher. Uh-huh. And then they kind of tease into a little black and white footage. Yeah. Which definitely ties into the comics, if you know the character. Is a very, very interesting one with many connections to a certain franchise that is... It, are they part of the MCU? Or are they not? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to speculate and, and say we're going to get uh, a certain symbiote anti-hero making I mean, an appearance or anything the like that. popular theory. I know everybody wants to run with it because if you know the origin of, of Gore, you understand why uh-huh. that could get tagged. Uh-huh. Now, am I saying that we wouldn't see an Easter egg here? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I'm going to say for intense purposes, no. No. They'll just tease it with... The imagery moving around Gore and is Christian Bale. Pad, now, this has been probably the most polarizing topic from this trailer. Okay. How do you think he looks? I think he looks I think he looks great. You know, he looks scary as all fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably the first time I've seen a villain, because I'm not real familiar with a lot of these villains, because having not read every Marvel comic book of all time. How dare you? Uh, I know. You know, but having not been real familiar with Gore, it's one of the first times I can remember seeing a villain on screen and not going, holy fucking shit. Like I didn't have that reaction for Thanos because the first time I saw Thanos on screen was obviously Avengers one. And I went, who the fuck is that? Yeah. But this is the first time I'm seeing a villain for one of these movies in a trailer and going, Oh dear God, he looks terrifying as all fuck. Yeah. And the thing about Gore is they write him in the comics. I don't know what to say at one point is like a sympathetic character. Sure. But he is somebody that is convinced that the gods are responsible for everything that's wrong. And he, he does say the line, all gods must die. Mm-hmm. And they do go run with that through the rest of this trailer, too, a little bit, because you're seeing them. He unveils his cloak, and then they do show this shot, which is panel for panel with the comics mm. of a beast that is a god that is slain. Yep. And like I say, the easiest comparison, which I know I'll get some heat online, it's not Godzilla, but it kind of has some some similarities. Sure, yeah, yeah, because, I see it. Because it's a monster one. I, I was having some people set up like, well, Godzilla's in this? I'm like, no. Okay, no, first no. and foremost, no. And secondly, no. But I can see where they would think of it because it's like a reptile-type creature that Gore has slain. So they do run with that from the panels. I like how they did the setup for that. And then you have more Christian Bale's character talking, and he's just all gods will die. And you've seen Thor being very scared of what he's seeing here, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Then is another quick shot of what appears to be Asgard or Olympus because we are getting teased of a fight scene going on with some armored soldiers that are all wearing gold armor. I think it's Olympus. I would say it's Olympus at this point 
because new Asgard is ta- basically taken over for Asgard, but they do seem like they're kind of teasing some imagery about bringing yeah. the old one back. Yeah, maybe. So, I mean, that just from my, my experience with, you know, portrayals of Olympus, usually there's a lot of gold involved Yes, because they're, they like that kind of stuff. Yes. Which makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And then you get another quick shot of gore, more or less testing his powers and destroying a planet. Yeah. Which gives the Emperor tr- Palpatine eat your heart out. Oh yeah, because it gives that sense of what's going on. And if you don't believe how powerful he is, yeah. He is very very powerful and he's somebody that if you're scaring Thor, yeah. That's a big deal. I also wouldn't be surprised if it's a planet we've at least heard of or are familiar with in some way, but just because I feel like for that moment it's obviously going to be very shocking like Oh my God! Holy shit! Mm-hmm. But if it's something, at least a planet we've heard of or is familiar with the Marvel lore, you know that we go, oh shit! Like he just destroyed insert planet here. That'll be make it a little bit more impactful. Yeah, I think they're definitely going to tease that a little bit, and I think that I'm not saying that we might have like a guardian, another Guardians Easter egg get put in there. Well, maybe, but maybe, just maybe. But then the rest of the trailer, though, we get Thor in action. They're showing another battle scene where you're seeing Valkyrie's face off of Gore. And then they go flash to a scene at Olympus, which mm-hmm. this one, I think, is catching the most internet uh, buzz, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, I will say, though, uh, real quick with the fight scene in like, uh, the Goreverse or whatever they're going to call it. I love the aesthetic they've chosen where everything's kind of like a real black and white. Mm-hmm. But, like, obviously, the you know, Thor and then Valkyrie still have their color there. When by color, I mean, like, the clothing on their color, their skin tone, their hair color. That's not, like, they could have gone completely full out black and white and made it fucking incredible. But this is already still incredible, and I love the aesthetic they've chosen for that. And I hope that anytime they're in that world or they're dealing with that, it stays that way. I hope so, too. I mean, it definitely was a, a visual that popped off the screen. Yeah. And I think they can definitely mess around with it. I think it just might kind of tie into if, if the life force of the planet they're on, too. So Maybe. if they want to kind of twist that for that, well, listen, I'm fine with that. Maybe. I have no issue with that. The other thing, too, is while this is all going on, we do get the line from Gore saying, you are not like the other gods that I've killed. Yes. Which, I mean, he, he's he's committed to his cause. Yeah. And then you get another quick shot of the Guardians doing Guardians things. So you see yep. Nebula and Batista firing off. So, like I say, they're splicing enough from the movie that you mm-hmm. you can't really figure out what's going on. And no. Yet again, love that about this. And, and if it's in typical Marvel fashion, this is all from like the first half hour of the movie. Yeah, oh, I fully believe that. I, I think they're not tipping off anything. But then we get probably the best scene of this, in my opinion, Uh where you're seeing Gore just quietly point at Thor, and Thor just answers him back with the rock, come get some. Uh And it's a cool scene. This one's completely in black and white, too, so I definitely got some Sin City vibes. And then there's a shot of Jane back in that museum-esque palace. And this is where I'll, things... I'll call it uh, uh, Moria, because it looks like fucking Moria from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> and then this one is very, very interesting, because there are some faces in here. Yeah, there are. That, if you're not familiar with, these are some of the most powerful beings. Why the fuck is Jar Jar Binks there? No, I'm kidding. Oh, you stop that slander. You and Ron both will be marking out about that, if that's the case, from uh, Ron from 3FN. This one, though, is kind of very telling about who's there. Because we do see the statue of Watu, the Watcher. Uh-huh. He is there. You do see Lady Death. I was like, I thought that looked like her. Oh, yeah. Which I, I'm saying, obviously, with Thanos involved. You, <laughs> oh, hey You know, obviously. His, You're familiar with that relationship. Exactly. So I'm not super doubting that that would be why Lady Death is there. But it works. You see the tri-faced uh, yeah. statue. That's the Living Tribunal. Yep. 
and you do see Infinity and Eon and also in the corners as well. So if you're not familiar with, these are like the most powerful people in the, in the MCU. They're setting up some shit. They're doing something big time with you it. You don't put this stuff in there just to have it like as a throwaway moment. If you were doing that, you would have it as like some sort of like former Asgardian leaders or, or like higher powers or something like that. You wouldn't put six or however you want to count it of the most powerful beings in the Marvel Universe on these pillars if you didn't have something planned. Now, is it anything we'll see in the next movie or at the end of this phase? No. Or maybe. You never know. But I think this is very clearly setting something up for down the road. Well, I think what you have to realize is when you see most of these characters, take Lady Death and Owatu out of this. Sure. This is like end of the universe stuff when you see the Uh tribunal show up and all these other big cosmic characters. Like, that's the one thing. They're not going to be somebody that Spider-Man's stopping by himself. No, yeah, like, usually if one of these show up, uh, it's time to get a new pair of underwear. Yeah, exactly. And that's one thing that with the new phase kicking in and whatever Kang the Conqueror is going to be doing, mm. obviously you're talking multiverse, you're talking time travel, like, stuff is going to get weird. It's just going to get all over the place. This is where you're bringing in all these different elements in that something cataclysmic is going to happen. Whether it's him or whether it's the return of the Infinity Stones that caused that. Yeah, because there are rumors of the stones coming back. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, if they want to kind of dance around with the Beyonder too. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they can go with this, but I don't think that that's just going to be a throwaway sign. Right. No. And, and then the trailer goes from there to the closing scene where we see Russell Crowe, finally a Zeus, in the hall, and he has Thor chained up and says, reveal yourself because he's cloaked. Time to take off your disguise so he flicks his wrist. All the clothes come off. Uh, you get the like TV uh, blurred out around the uh, derriere region. Uh, and Thor looks and goes, Cord just goes, ooh. And Thor goes, you flick too hard, damn it. And then one, two, three, four, five, about six or seven women all collapse in uh, just awe and, and fainting. Yes. And there is a quick shot, too, if you stare at Thor's back during this. He has R.I.P. Loki and his helmet tattooed on his back. Uh-huh. I mean, I was dying when I saw that. I was like, "Oh my god!" Somebody, somebody want to tell him? Yeah, no. no well, no. I'm just I'm waiting until they run into each other because that's gonna be a matter of time. That yeah. might be a bonus scene where like he's Thor's just walking down the street and he bumps into Loki and goes, oh, and Thor, Loki just goes, "Oh, hi." He goes, "Hello, brother," and you just kind of see like, "Oh, what I get a tattoo for?" And then there's another quick shot of Thor smashing something on the way out the door here. Overall, though. Pad, final thoughts on the trailer. Really great trailer. I'm super excited for it, and I'm even more excited to see like what they set up with this movie or what they start to introduce with this movie because this is going to be a fun movie. This is going to be you know your kind of typical uh, Thor, Taika Waititi movie. So there's going to be fun. There's going to be humor. There's going to be one-liners galore. But I think this is also going to be one of the movies that like sets up a lot of the cosmic or like you know otherworldly stuff, and I'm excited for that. Well, I think that obviously I am a big fan when they go to the comic source material. And you can't go any better than Jason Aaron on Thor. Like it's it. There are some great writers that they could definitely borrow from, but Aaron is somebody very recent that made a lasting impression on readers. So if they want to borrow this and run with it, I think they borrowed enough that we are still guessing on what's going on here. But they definitely did a good job about it. And like I say, that scene with all the statues in there—that was kind of something very interesting to watch. And we're gonna have to wait to see what happens moving forward with Thor and Stormbreaker. And I know a lot of people were speculating about Beta Ray Bill. I think we, we're, we're, Beta Ray Bill is going to be in one of two films. He's either going to be here or he's going to be in Guardians 3. Probably. Like, that's probably the safest lock I can give you. 
I wouldn't doubt that we don't see him here. And I think they want to hide him specifically because if they tip that off in the trailer, the net would have exploded. Uh huh. If you're not familiar with Beta Ray Bill, man, you got to get familiar really quick. Uh, one of the best characters in the Thor universe, bar none. But overall, though, trailer looked really good. I'm excited for it. I don't want to see any more footage. I'm good. I'm sold. You got my ticket money as soon as they go on sale. And this is a great way for the MCU to come back, obviously. They're having a good year so far. I would say so. I would definitely say after Doctor Strange. Yeah. So they definitely want to keep the momentum going. Disney Plus shows are blowing up right now. It's a good time to be an MCU fan. And you got to be excited about what you saw with Thor Love and Thunder, right? Oh, yeah. Easily. Well, that's why we got to ask the ODPH Society. Jump in and give us your takes. Hashtag ODPH Pod. What is your thoughts about the latest Thor Love and Thunder trailer? Did you love it? Did you hate it? What did you think is the best part? Worst part? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Chris. And Lance. Asking you to check out our new podcast, Comic Book Keepers. Join us as we delve deep into comic lore to uncover the history behind a wide variety of comic book characters. Each episode will feature one hero, villain, team, or ensemble and break down what makes these heroes super. We'll give you recommendations on what storylines to read. Explain how characters were created. Discuss adaptations, costumes, and answer comic fandom's what-if questions. Yeah, and spoiler alert, these conversations can get pretty nerdy. This is Comic Book Keepers. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and it's time to talk the flagship show of the Walking Dead universe, Fear the Walking Dead. Zombies! And this season has been, I hate saying a letdown, Mm -hmm. but it started off with some great promise because the show does a lot of things that the flagship show won't do. Okay. They're not afraid to kill off major characters. They're not afraid to get weird and really do some wild stuff in this zombie apocalypse world. But the hype this entire season has been Strand versus Morgan. Wow. And this is Lenny James and Coleman Domingo, who are two of the strongest actors on this ensemble cast. And they have some great actors on this show. And it's been set up like they're supposed to be battling for control of the tower, which is what Strand wound up making into this utopia after the nuclear bomb went off in their universe. Folks, it is TV. It is zombies. Just go with it if you're going like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. No, I didn't stutter. Yeah. A nuclear warhead went off, and it's a wasteland in that part of the uh, Walking Dead universe. So Strand's place has been this utopia that now everybody is trying to either take over or you start listening to Strand, who has become this very big dictator. And... The season since they've come back has been very mixed. Like, they've done some things that have been okay, and they've also had some hiccups. Mm-hmm. And now going into the final stretch, I feel they really dropped the ball oh. doing something. And I understand why now, sure, but I don't like it. It's It was a very okay episode. Sure. But as I start deep diving into a pad... I want your reaction about this as I'm telling you how this went down. Yeah. So that being said, I am going to be talking spoilers about the latest Walking Dead episode entitled Divine Providence. So if you are new to the show, I give the fair warning. I deep dive into spoilers after the spoiler free talk. Countdown is done. We get into it. So that being said, pause if you need to. Otherwise, three, two, one. Okay. So 
Morgan has left. He's on his raft with the baby who is trying to keep safe. Uh-huh. So he is off the equation. So everything we've been setting up this entire season between Morgan and Strand is gone. Sure. You have Alicia, who made her triumphant return to the group. Alicia Devin Carey, who plays her, mm-hmm. does a phenomenal job. But she's on borrowed time because she did the whole, I was bit by the walker. I tried right. cutting my arm off. It didn't work. So she's slowly dying, having fever dreams, and I'm ultimately going to turn into a zombie. She has a basically a claw hand, too. Mm. So I want, to, I want to bring this up later when it comes up. Well, Morgan has said, I have to keep the baby safe. I'm going to go find someplace else we can go. You need to be the one to take out Strand. Now, if you're new to the show, you will be lost about this point because there is this whole family relationship-esque deal between Strand and Alicia. Like, if there's any person, and Strand is not a good person by any means. Right. But if there's one person he cares about, it's Alicia. And kind of vice versa, too, because Alicia's part of the first family of the show that right. that is the only survivor, as of right now, uh, that is still on this show. So they have this, like, very unique friendship that, mm-hmm. you know, like, no matter what, they kind of still care about each other as family. Like, there's no romance going on here. It's just, a, like, a family-esque bond between them. So Morgan says, yeah, I'm taking off with the kid. You got to go watch. You got to go take out Strand. Okay. So she shows up at the tower. And obviously Strand has this with rangers pointing guns all over the place. Mm. He has a beacon light that's on top of this tower that's going off 24-7, it seems like. And Alicia has to call in and and kind of say with Strand, like he catches her coming and has a conversation and says, listen, you want to come in here? You come alone and we can talk. Mm. So the whole plan about sneaking in and taking the tower has failed a few times because everybody that they've tried sending in, Strand has figured out uh-huh. and thrown off the top of the roof because the whole deal is to kill the beacon light, the uh, lighthouse light that's on yeah, top there. Yeah. To give an example, like it's a big, big light. They want to take that out so they can sneak in undetected and go take over the tower. Oh. Well, Strand brings in Alicia, and also coming in there is Daniel. Now, he is uh, played by Ruben Blades, who does a phenomenal job, and he's the one that's uh, suffering from mental issues. Sure. So he is sitting there thinking that his dead daughter is somewhere in the tower. And unfortunately, like I said, he's been having a lot of mental health issues. He is just kind of like the loose cannon of this group. Mm-hmm. And he's, he winds up sneaking in there, too. And then Strand basically says, okay, I'm going to pull him aside. He can go in the basement like, because he's like, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? And Strand is kind of looking like, okay, I don't know what you got told. but Right. Like, she, she ain't here. She's not here. But he knows like what Daniel is capable of because Daniel has former like military training or CIA. Right, I right. So he sends him to the bottom of the basement for now just to talk to Alicia and kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah. And the whole end game here with this tower is Strand is basically said, listen, I will let you live because I'm trying to raise this world to be something prosperous. You can't survive out there in this nuclear wasteland. Mm -hmm. There's walkers that are now infected with radioactivity because of that bomb. Mm -hmm. So now you can either stay in here and we can prosper together or how are we going to wind up being making this happen because he is desperately trying to win her affection of like approval i should say not not affection but approval 
And Alicia is basically saying, like, this is not going to work. You have to let those people in. They're going to die out there. So they wind up having standoff number one. Okay, keep track of this. And Strand has guns drawn on her. She's getting held up. Wes, who is uh, taking over the role of the right-hand man for Strand, is like basically saying, like, we have to kill her. Right. This is not going to work. And Strand is like refusing to do it because he still has that bond of friendship. And it ultimately comes down to where Alicia sells Strand of like, listen, I'm dying. I'm, I don't know how much time I have left right now. Like, I could go at any second. Do you want to waste our time doing this? And Strand ultimately, like, decides to have this random change of thought, mm. which I understand. And like I said, this is nothing against Coleman Domingo's performance. He does Strand excellent. But when he does those, like, frantic, like, mood swings, it's it just felt like it came out of nowhere. Because mm-hmm. Strand's like, okay, if you agree to stay here, that's fine. And meanwhile, you see Wes is going like, are you kidding? Like, what are you doing? She's setting you up. They're, she's going to try killing you. This is stupid. Like, And so they wind up having standoff number two. So during this, you see Strand and Alicia have to make an escape. And they're now running through the tower. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, on the outside, you have all of uh, the uh, rest of the survivors from the show are waiting and behind them because the light is attracting zombies comes this horde of radioactive zombies Hmm. so we're now working against the clock so let's roll with this so as strand and alicia Alicia are running through here they're trying to strand is desperately trying to talk alicia like here let's go to the medicine uh area that we have i'm going to try getting you something to save you and alicia's telling like i've tried everything i'm dying like it's not going to work right call this off let the people in Make this into something better. You're you're capable of doing this. So at this point, the Rangers, Transformer Army, are now looking to kill him. They're running through the building, and we have another standoff where they're at gunpoint. And then lo and behold, who comes busting through the door but Daniel? Mm. And Daniel is like guns drawn, killing people. And he's not going Daryl Wick, though. Uh, I want to clarify that. He's okay. not going Daryl Wick. But he has a gun on Strand. He's like, you're going to tell me where my damn daughter is. Otherwise, I'm going to kill everybody here. And then finally Strand says, she's dead. She's always been dead. We tried finding her in Mexico. And then, like there was a time that they were in Mexico earlier yeah. seasons. Yeah. And Strand is explaining to him, like, listen, unfortunately she's gone. Mm-hmm. And there's another uh, victim of radioactive poison who we remember, Charlie, the young girl from yep. a couple episodes ago. Yep. Well, Daniel recognizes her and... She then Strand brings Daniel to her and says, look, I can't save your daughter, but I know you care about Charlie, too. You have to kind of help us here. We have to find to find a way to save the tower. And Daniel does have a connection with Charlie, too, you know, like a father daughter type deal as well. And Daniel finally, like, comes to and is like, OK, I'll help you. So they, they have some very touching scenes. here. Sure. Because you see Alicia, she's passing out now left and right. And. She's dying, so they now have to fight their way up to the roof. Right. And they do this kind of very unique escape where Strand and Alicia go into a a hallway, and Strand fires off tear gas. Mm -hmm. So he's flooding the hallway so nobody can get up there. So he winds up trying to get to to his top floor, not the roof, but the top floor where he's stationed. And Wes and company are sitting there waiting for him. Oh, boy. And basically Wes is like, listen, I'm not going to let you ruin everything we've set up here. 
because you want to save Alicia. Right. This is going to break the whole tower down. What are you doing? And Strand at this point is like convinced, no, I, I've got Alicia back in my favor. I can make this happen. I can make this work. I mean, this is where you see the franticness come into play as a strong performance because he's like, he's so convinced of like, there's one person I have to impress and it's her. If I can do this, I win. I win everything. And now he has to make this dramatic escape from Wes. This gets completely out of control again. And then there's another standoff yet again. So we're now up to four. Because at this point, Strand grabs his sword that he has. Mm-hmm. Because uh, where he was staying, uh, there's historical artifacts, and one is a very big sword. Yeah. So as there's another standoff with Wes, who has guns drawn on Alicia, they're now trying to you know come to a peace of mind. And Strand basically just says he has to make a choice because they're captured. Daniel makes a save to distract Wes. Strand impales him. Mm. And we're not talking like a quick jab. This is like right through and into a wall. Right. So like Wes is gone. And Alicia now starts freaking out like, why did you kill him? And Strand is like, I don't have a choice here. Right. So I don't know what you're thinking, but if we're going to stop this light, we got to go take out the light. We need to go right now. So they get up to the roof. And you do see, like, everybody is kind of there, and we're ready to go. They're on the roof. Strand goes over to hit the plug on it. And then, honest to God, man, I flipped out at this for all the wrong reasons. Strand immediately starts screaming at Alicia, you'll never forgive me. Hmm. You'll never forgive me. why Why am I helping you? So now, all of a sudden, on the roof, he has a breakdown that everything that we wasted the past 40 minutes of this episode mm-hmm. is now out the door because he's having a, a guilt conscious. Mm. Thoughts on that? Uh, I'd turn the episode off and go do something else. Oh, my God. Like, I'm sitting there screaming. I'm like, wait, are we really doing this right now? Are we really if doing this? If you just sat me through all of that only for it to turn up, i like, oh, hey, yeah, never mind. I would have legitimately turned it off and gone and done something else. I start losing my crap. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, we've just really sat here through... Wes getting killed, Daniel going through the building, wiping away everybody, and you're seeing, obviously, the, the window against time is running out, and Strand all of a sudden now is snapping that he has this moment that he's like, Alicia will never forgive me. I, I need to stay true to myself. You just killed off your right-hand man that was telling you that for 40 minutes of this episode, and now you want to go back to it? Like, it was just bad setup, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Nothing against the acting, but it was bad setup in writing. I, I'm sorry. I know writers listen to the show. I apologize. But listen, I'm just being honest as a fan. I don't pull my punches. I literally sat there. I was like, are you kidding me? They now have standoff number six. And you do see Alicia fighting with Strand now, physically fighting. She winds up with the claw hand going to stab him. Yeah. So after, you know, we've had three episodes where she can't force herself to hurt him by any means. She finally goes, okay, I'm going to try killing him. Mm-hmm. She stabs a gas container. Okay? Mm-hmm. Keep this in mind. Okay. Gas is now leaking on the roof. Yep. So she winds up getting the upper hand on Strand. She climbs up to the light beacon. Mm-hmm. Inadvertently, she winds up snapping wires. Okay. And then she is trying to hook up this transmission because, obviously, being up that high, you can send up a signal. And she's basically calling anybody in earshot, this is Padre. So, obviously, Padre was the mythical yeah. 
place that was going to be the saving grace of this universe. She's now saying, I declare this is Padre. This mm. is going to be it. Gotcha. So as she's doing this, well, the light is broken and a fire breaks out because yeah. of it, because of wires, because why pad reasons. And now that she's on the scaffolding, she passes out all of a sudden because of the zombie bite. So there's a fire now. The whole building is getting engulfed oh. for the most part. And now everybody finally made their way in because the light was off. So now you have all the survivors in the bottom of the building. Mm-hmm. You have a horde of radioactive zombies surrounding said building. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. <laughs> and that's how they end the episode. I literally sat there. I was like, are you kidding me? Of all this, the ways to get from point A to point B, like this is how this went down. Seriously? And then they show a clip for next week, which basically says, well, some people get out alive because then they get a shot of Morgan, who is now on a walkie talking with everybody, and it's daylight, so obviously this is happening at night. There, It's now daylight, so they do have some survivors. Mm-hmm. And this is leading to like where Morgan is basically saying, I'll find a I think I found a place for us. I think we can go somewhere. And this is where I believe Madison comes back in, who mm. is obviously, you know, been one of the feature characters of earlier in the season. Obviously she's a great character, but that, that's how it ends. I honest man, I was losing my mind. Like I'm I'm excited for Kim Dickens to come back as Madison, but I'm like if this was all just kind of build up into where she has to come back and she's yeah. going to have like that last minute where she's going to have to be the one to kill Alicia, I'm going to sit there and just and go bananas about this. Mm. Like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. the fact you took Morgan out of this equation, it should have been Morgan and Strand on the roof. Like, that's what you've been building for the entire season. So that's what's on the poster. Exactly. So, like, why like you want to pull a swerve? It, it failed, in my opinion, especially with how quick you had Strand all of a sudden after he's helping Alicia. He finally got his goal. Like, this is what he's been waiting to do for the entire time he's been in the damn tower. And he goes, nah, she'll never forgive You'll never forgive me. You'll never. You never will. <laughs> like, now is the time you come to this realization? Right. You just killed off your right-hand man. You've killed off pe- your own people that were loyal to you. Oh, my God. Like... It's frustrating because when you get invested in the show, and last season was so damn good that this one, like since they've come back, has just been such a a letdown. Mm, that stinks. Yeah, I mean, like I still think there's good episodes in this, so it's not like a complete epic fail. But I think for like where they should have gone with the story as a fan invested in this, I think they hit a lot more missteps than I like for this, and I'm not happy about it. But with two more episodes left, I think they, they'll give them a chance to rebound a little bit. Like I say, I know all signs point with Madison coming to the show. I don't know if she's going to be the one to save Alicia at the end of the day or if Alicia is as good as gone, which I think she has to be at this stage. You would imagine. I think so. I know that the actress is going to be on a different show coming up. A, a, pilot, uh, a pilot got picked up. Gotcha. I would assume anyway because, I mean, let's face it, she's survived an entire season now with half an arm and she's having fever dreams of being a zombie. It's, it's sounds a, like they're writing her off. Yeah, that's what I say. Which I mean, it makes sense because I mean, she's she's given so much, she's done a lot, but obviously, I, I think unfortunately, you got to kill Strand off here too. Like, you're there had better be some big ramifications going into that season finale. Man, oh man, oh man, I got thoughts on this show. I do. And that's what I want to talk. Can tell. I want to say this is what I got to talk to the ODPH Society about. Fear the Walking Dead, Divine Providence. What was your thoughts? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? 
I know we got writers of the show that do listen to this show. So anytime you want to slide in those DMs, at OD Parlera on Twitter. We'll make it happen. That being said, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You're in bed, drifting off, and suddenly think, Who would win in a tug-of-war match between Superboy and Merlin? Did Marvel ever try to make a long-haul trucker into a superhero? How would it work out if I named my dog after a D-list supervillain? The answers in order are Merlin. Yes. And amazing. I'm Jessica. And I'm Mike. And we host the podcast Ten Cent Takes, a show that looks at weird, silly, and cool moments from comics and how they're woven into the larger fabric of history. Moments like the time Superman shilled for Radio Shack. When Archie got tempted by the devil. Oh, and then there was that time that DC Comics gave a superhero AIDS in an effort to be topical. It's always weird around here, but we'd like to think it's also interesting. So come with us and commit random acts of pop culture archaeology, one issue at a time. If you'd like to learn more, head over to TenCentTakes.com. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got? Gotta talk a couple of things, most of them Star Wars related, because while it's been a quiet week, there is one big thing going on this weekend, uh, and that is, well, two big things going on this weekend. I was going to say, I know one. One one of them, obviously, is the upcoming first two episodes for the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, series, which is dropping this Friday on Disney+. Plus. God damn it, I'm excited. Disney, stop trying to tease me. Stop putting out exclusive clips and trying to get me to watch me. Uh, I'm to quote Captain America in Avengers Endgame. No, no, I don't think I will. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to go into this as like limited as I've seen the trailers. That's enough for me. The trailers are the trailers are doing the nice thing and they're kind of showing the same sequences. It's nothing like there's no, oh, there's look at these new scenes that are in the Star Wars, Star Wars trailers. No, it's all kind of the same sequences. So they're kind of keeping it contained. I'm excited for it. I cannot wait. I need it in my life now. Any early previews? Uh, early predictions, I'm going to say uh, the battle between Vader and Obi-Wan because we know it's it's been confirmed by Hayden Christensen and, and Ewan McGregor that they will face each other and they will fight again. That's going to be fucking insane. Uh, I like how Hayden is being coy about the Ahsoka series. He's been asked about the Ahsoka series. And Smart he, move. He's been very coy. He hasn't really said, like, oh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, no, it's going to be awesome. It's going to, I think, answer a lot of questions and maybe fill in the gaps as to why the hell Obi-Wan was there for so long and what was going on and all this other stuff. Uh, you know, which is honestly, outside, there was one book in the old Expanded Universe that came out by John Jackson Miller. Uh, called, I think it was just called Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Great book. I think it's still available to this day. They printed under the Legends banner uh, that you can still go to your local bookstore you know, or Barnes and Noble and still, obviously you can get it online digitally, but if you want to read it physically, I'm pretty sure I like, I know for a fact it's under the, cause they didn't re-release all the old EU stuff. It's like some of the more popular stuff or some of the more well-known stuff. And seeing as that one was so well received, I know that was, so if you want to, if you want probably like a good gauge of like where this show might've gotten some inspiration from that one might is a good one for, you. I've read it myself. It's a fantastic book. Uh, but no, in terms of the show, it's going to be good. It's, it's going to be awesome. I'm in, I'm intrigued to see where they go, just because for in terms of the timeline, this is taking place obviously after Revenge of the Sith, before A New Hope. But I think it's going to, if I had to ballpark it, probably in between uh, Solo and Rogue One, because okay. Rogue, Rogue One is obviously like ass end into the beginning of A New Hope, and then uh, Solo is fairly early on in like the dark times. I feel like. You know, so I it's I think it's gonna be somewhere in between there because obviously with some of the characters you see in these uh uh trailers for this, specifically the Grand Inquisitor, if you've watched Star Wars Rebels, <laughs> it's 
spoiler alert, you know what happens to some of those characters. So it obviously takes place before Rebels. So it should be interesting to see where this goes. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm excited for it, too. I mean, I am just kind of getting a little more knowledge about what to expect here. Sure. I mean, obviously, you see Invader come back. That's going to be dope. Uh Uh-huh. And then all the... Charger Binks as well. No, I'm kidding. uh, If he gets blown away on this, I'll call it the greatest show of all time. Last we knew uh, from the books, he was living as a clown on the streets of Naboo. No, that is not a joke. Good. Good place for him. Uh, And then also going on this weekend, Star Wars related, is Star Wars Celebration. Uh, This taking place in Anaheim Thursday, May 26th through Sunday, May 29th. Some of the stuff I know will be streamed online, not everything. And uh, I'm going to go through some of the panels that kind of you should expect to hear some news out of. Obviously, there's some great ones going on there. There's a panel going on with a conversation with Anthony uh, Daniels, obviously Mm C-3PO. There's one going on with Ian McDiarmid, the Emperor. So those should be cool if you're in attendance. But in terms of the ones, you should expect to see some footage of online they might even be streamed online you'll have to check starwars.com and the star wars youtube channel uh some these are some of the ones i think you should keep your eye out for uh first uh i believe this one's leading off the entire damn thing thursday may 26th at 11 a.m on the celebration stage is uh, the panel is called lucasfilms studio showcase and the description on the starwarscelebration.com website reads star wars celebration returns launching with a must-see showcase that will kick the weekend's festivities into hyperdrive Lucasfilm's current crop of live-action filmmakers will be joined by special guests to discuss the many Star Wars adventures coming soon, including Obi-Wan Kenobi, hmm. Andor, okay. and The Mandalorian. Oh, uh, so, oh. Th- so this lends me to believe that I want to say the Andor series has done principal photography, that like they might be on like pickup shots or like special effects. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's where we get our first look at the Andor television series. I'm okay with that. Uh, also going on uh, Thursday uh, at, for, at one o'clock, uh, Lucasfilm publishing uh, Lucasfilm publishing stories from a galaxy far, far away. Uh, this reads uh, the from adult novels to kids comics from the high from the time of the High Republic to the rise of the First Order. This is the place to dive deeper into stories from a galaxy far, far away, featuring details on new and upcoming titles from Disney Lucasfilm Press, Del Rey, Dark Horse, and more including all new announcements and reveals from a galaxy far, far away, moderated by Lucasfilm's Michael Siglin. So obviously this is going to be stuff for books. Obviously if it's Disney Lucasfilm press, that's going to be like the kids end of things, the young adult stuff, Delray, that's going to be the adult stuff. And then dark horse. Well, obviously that's going to be some of the comic stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that should be definitely one to check out. I've been reading some of the, uh, I've been going through the uh, star Wars brotherhood book by Mark, uh, Mike Chen, uh, in the audiobook form, it is fucking fantastic. So yeah. the Star Wars stuff is so good. So you definitely should check that out. Uh, also on Thursday, 3 p.m., uh, the panel is titled "The High Republic for Light and Life." Uh, the description of this reads: Centuries before the Skywalker saga, there was the High Republic. Join moderator and the High Republic show host Christina Ariel, along with luminous authors Claudia Gray, Justina Ireland, Daniel, uh, Daniel Jose Older, Kevin Scott, and Charles Soule along with Lucasfilm's James Waugh and Michael Siglin for an in-depth conversation about the Golden Age of the Jedi, including all new announcements and reveals from Phase 2, Quest of the Jedi. So if you're not familiar, the High Republic is this new cross-media venture Lucasfilm and, and Disney and Star Wars have been doing, telling this kind of like interconnected story set 300 years before the events of the Star Wars films. Okay. Uh, it's been taking place in adult books, young adult books, children's books, and comics. Mm-hmm. And there's even a television series coming up at some point down the road. I believe it's going to be live action called uh, Star Wars The Visionary. 
Okay. You know, so it's this whole thing. It's been fan-fucking-tastic. It's all interconnected. You know, I read one of the more recent... I read the most recent uh, adult book, and then I was listening to the most recent young adult book, and they mentioned one of the things in the young adult... or the adult book that had just come out, like, a couple months prior. So it's this awesome interconnected story they've never done before with the star Wars stuff across multiple mediums. It's been fantastic to read. Highly recommend you get into it. And I'm expecting might get some stuff about that, uh, visionary show dropped at this panel specifically. I'm excited to hear about visionary. Yeah. Like, no, like, should be I, awesome. I forgot that that was getting rumored. Yeah. Uh, also, and then, uh, switching to Friday at 1230, you have Lucasfilm publishing behind the page, uh, explore the world of nonfiction novelty and behind the scenes books for fans of every age, featuring details on exciting new and upcoming titles from Abrams D DK Insight Editions and more, including all new announcements and reveals from a galaxy far, far away. So I know this is the book that like it's the behind the scenes, it's the cross section books. This stuff's super awesome. If uh, should be, maybe be expecting some stuff from this. Should, should be cool. Yes, yeah, definitely excited about this one. Uh, all then all taking place also on Friday, two p.m. Eastern. Would you believe it's the twentieth anniversary of Attack of the Clones? No. Yeah. So this year does uh, two thousand two uh, does mark the twentieth anniversary of Star Wars: Attack of the Clones, uh, and they will be having uh, the description of this reads: "The shroud of the dark side has fallen. Fallen. Join us as we celebrate the twentieth anniversary of Star Wars: Attack of the Clones, the movie that not only introduced a lightsaber wielding Yoda." A coming-of-age Anakin Skywalker and clones, it also ushered in a new era of digital cinema, which two decades later has become an industry standard. Special guests and behind-the-scenes content will be revealed in this can't-miss commemoration of the 2002 epic. Maybe they'll finally release the Attack of the Clones 3D that was done, God, 10 years ago now? Because before Disney bought Lucasfilm, remember? Yeah, that was in talks. They Well, no, they did it. They had the original trilogy. they They had the original trilogy done. Or the, excuse me, the prequel trilogy done, and they were working on the original trilogy before Disney bought Lucasfilm. Because I remember in 2010 or 2011, they re-released Phantom Menace in 3D, which wasn't like the most groundbreaking thing, but it still looked pretty cool. Sure, they yeah, did, sure they did for still, this time, yeah. Yeah, they put their time and money into it, so it was pretty cool. And Attack of the Clones 3D got screened, and I want to say it was Celebration Germany, I remember hearing. Mm-hmm. That like they had an outdoor screening of this movie in 3D or wherever, wherever it was in Germany. For this, so there is a cut of Attack of the Clones 3D somewhere. Wouldn't surprise me if maybe they announced this for like a later in the year type of thing, you know, or maybe even like a Disney Plus. I don't know, but you never know. But hey, 20 years of uh, Attack of the Clones, crazy to think of. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, taking place on Saturday, 11 a.m., Mando Plus, a conversation with John Favreau. Who? And Dave Filoni. Who? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in their first appearance at Star Wars Celebration since the premiere of The Mandalorian, join John Favreau and Dave Filoni with special guests for a look back and a look ahead at what's to come. Now that should be an interesting panel. Uh-huh. That's, this is obviously we got season three coming soon. I don't think they've started uh, principal photography on it yet, but I think it's right around the corner. So maybe get a little tease, a little insight as to what's coming for season three. Maybe we'll hear a little bit about Book of Boba Fett too. Uh-huh. Maybe. Uh, also taking place Saturday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern. This one, the description is very short, but if you're familiar with some of the stuff that's been going on in Star Wars, you have an idea what it's going to be about. Uh, the panel is titled Tales of the Jedi. Introducing Tales of the Jedi, animated anthology shorts, hosted by Amy Ratcliffe with special guest Dave Filoni. So so this is the animated shorts that Dave Filoni's been working on. Where it's taking place in Star Wars, we have no damn idea, but Dave Filoni's involved, so I'm in. Yeah, I'm excited for for this, and hopefully we get a little bit of a teaser trailer for this. It would make a lot of sense to do. 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear some news come from that one. Me too. Uh, also taking place on Saturday, 4.30 p.m., uh, you have Marvel Star Wars Comics. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this one reads, uh, make mine Star Wars and make mine Marvel. Join Marvel Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sabolsky and some of Marvel's top talent for a comics conversation unlike any other, including all new announcements and reveals from a galaxy far, far away. So if you're like me and you dig the Star Wars comics, definitely something to check out. And I would imagine we're going to get some awesome announcements and reveals upcoming uh, for the Marvel Comics line of Star Wars. Super excited for that. Star Wars stuff is so good. Yeah, the the amount of quality that's in the Marvel Star Wars books is like insane. If, like, it, if it's Star Wars and Charles Soule has written it, pick it up. It's, yeah, it's just worth it. it. Just get it. Like, it's good. Uh, taking place Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern, Delray Behind the Scenes, uh, which reads, Join Star Wars authors and book editors for an in-depth conversation about three of the most anticipated Star Wars stories coming in 2022. Brotherhood, Shadow of the Sith, and The Princess and the Scoundrel. From the prequels to the original trilogy to the sequel era, there are Star Wars books from Lucasfilm and Del Rey for everyone. This panel is not one to be missed, moderated by Del Rey senior editor Tom Holler. Uh, so if you're not familiar, Brotherhood, as I mentioned, is the book that's out now. It is set in the prequel era. It is set, um, what is it, between episodes two and three, so Attack of the Clones okay. and, and Revenge of the Sith. Uh, and in the book, this isn't a spoiler, it's like within the first like chapter. So Anakin just gets knighted. He just gets promoted to Jedi Knight. Uh, and an incident takes place on Cato Nemoidia, so the home of the Nemoidians, which sends Obi-Wan there to investigate. So you remember the line from Revenge of the Sith where Anakin talks about, oh, I've saved your butt for the 10th time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Anakin, and Obi-Wan goes, no, ninth time. That business on Cato Nemoidia, that doesn't count. <laughs> We're about to find out once I get to the end of the book what the business on Cato Nemoidia is. Interesting. Yeah, so then you've got, uh, they mentioned Shadow of the Sith. That is the book coming out on, I want to say it's June 28th. Uh, it is, remember there was the whole bit from Lando in Rise of Skywalker about him and Luke going on a whole journey to find the Sith and this and that? Yeah, yeah. That's what this book is about. Oh. it's You're going to find out about that. Also, rumors, and I've, I've read some stuff that uh, we're going to get introduced to Ray's parents in said book. Yeah, her actual parents, you know, the ones that left her on Jekku. Well, I'm interested now. Uh-huh. And then you've got The Princess and the Scoundrel, which looks to be taking place either during the original trilogy or the sequel. I'm not quite sure. But, hey, it's involving Han Solo and Princess Leia. So where can you go wrong? Exactly. You can't. You can't. You can't. And then lastly, and certainly not leastly, taking place on Sunday at 11 a.m., you have Star Wars The Bad Batch Season 2. Fantastic show done by Dave Filoni and crew uh, following the events of, uh, uh, what is it, The Clone Wars uh, with the clone group 99, you know, it is amazing. Uh, the description of this reads strap in kid. You're not going to want to miss this view. Join host David Collins as he invites star Wars, the bad batch executive producer and supervising director, uh, Brad Rao executive producer and head writer, Jen, uh, Corbet story editor, uh, Matt Minkovitz actors, D Bradley Baker and, uh, Michelle Ang, who plays Omega on the show. To discuss highlights from the first season and the acclaimed ser- of the first season of the acclaimed series, as well as some exciting hints of what's to come in season two, because yes, amidst all this Andor and Mandalorian, yeah. and Boba Fett, and all say, stuff, there is a second season of uh, Bad Batch coming, and that's we've, flying under the radar too. We, well, we've heard nothing about it. There's yeah. been no trailer. There's been no art. There's been no photos. There's been no nothing. My guess is that we're going to get a trailer and a release date during this panel. Uh, obviously, there's some more stuff going on, but to me, that's kind of what's jumping out and what you should expect to hear some news out of coming this weekend. And we will definitely be keeping track of that. Oh, on you know, social. I will. Yeah, I was going to say, just expect me to retreat pad all weekend. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Nobody does Star Wars coverage like 
the one and only Padawan Jay. Oh, thank you. I'm just putting that out there. So on my end, uh, one quick thing before we get into the comics blogs, because there's a lot of stuff at the comic shop this week. On Netflix, uh-huh. returning is the one and only Stranger Things ah. this weekend. So obviously the show that completely turns everything upside down, literally and figuratively, from Hawkins, Indiana, is returning to Netflix. Uh, most of the season four is coming. Now, they are having a couple episodes come later, Pat? Yeah, so the fir- it's a nine-episode uh, fourth season uh, in total. The first seven episodes are dropping uh, this weekend on May 27th. Uh, the final two episodes are dry, dropping on July 1st. So, And, and it's interesting. Final two episodes, uh, grab a snack, go to the bathroom beforehand, because goddamn you're going to need it. Uh, according to an article from Forbes.com, which was posted uh, just a couple of days ago on the 23rd of May. Uh, so the first seven episodes are about the average time length, I would say, of a Netflix show. Uh, the longest you'll have is episode seven, which is the kind of like mid-season break or whatever you want to put mm-hmm. it. Obviously, hour and 38 minutes. Uh, the shortest of which appears to be episode three, which is an hour and three minutes. The rest of them are like an hour and 15, hour and 16. It's in that neck of the woods. So the, kind of your standard fare uh, Netflix television series sure. episode length. And you get the final two episodes, which, like I said, uh, go to the bathroom beforehand. Grab a snack. You're going to need it because episode eight is going to be an hour and 25 minutes. Okay. Episode nine, two and a half hours. Okay. Um, Initial reaction to that. Memory serves me right. They're doing a season five. I believe so. Otherwise, I would say that's the series finale. I know that they have put a, a, a cutoff date, and I want to say it's season five. Mm-hmm. If they're going that route, I'm wondering how how much longer they have season five and how many episodes that's going to be. For the record, that episode nine, I looked it up. Uh, the movie Free Guy on uh, Disney, which you can watch on Disney+. Plus. Fantastic movie. Too. Highly recommend you watch it. That movie's only an hour and 55 minutes. I just watched The Force Awakens the other night. That movie's like two hours and 20 minutes. I want to say... The Last Jedi, which I want to say is it's either that one or Rise of Skywalker is the longest one in Star Wars. Last Jedi is like two hours and 30 minutes or something like that. It's a long one. So, like, episode nine is rivaling movie lengths. Well, I mean, the one thing about this show is it does have that big following. And there's no question about that. Like, they definitely have something in the works with this. And it it touches the nostalgia of the 80s and modernizes it with great horror elements Mm -hmm. and the writing is superb about this okay so by the way season five will be the last gotcha and uh season four they're saying is the beginning of that so i'm not sure how long season five is going to be yeah but this has been uh, a few sites i'm I'm looking at right now have posted about it and i looked and i looked up last jedi is two hours and 32 minutes Uh, episode nine of this season two hours and 30 minutes well i i gotta imagine they're gonna do something really big here for it and i that long you have to they have to especially if they're spacing it out like they are because i believe the first seven episodes are coming out now in may and then the last two are in july yep so that being said because i'm just sorry i'm just trying to do a lot of math here so i know pat already mentioned that they're going to be building up for something big and then Mm -hmm. i depending on how long they want to go for season five is really going to play a factor here but with what they've done with this show and like I say, the main stars are coming back. Winona Ryder is reprising her role as Joyce. David Harbour is reprising his role as Jim Hopper, a.k.a. the Red Guardian, because I'm saying they're going to combine this with, <laughs> with Black Widow, and it's going to explain a lot. If you haven't seen the show, you definitely need to go check it out. Finn Wolfhard, who has become one of the breakout stars of the show, obviously saw him in Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, is reprising his role as Mike. Millie Bobby Brown is reprising her role as Eleven. 
Again, Matarazzo is reprising his role as Dustin. Caleb McLaughlin is, is playing Lucas again. And Noah Schaap is playing Will. So they have their core group coming back, and that's a big thing for this as well. But they're all getting up in that age group where it's like right. they're not going to be kids forever. Right. I, I mean, I did see a side-by-side photo of, what was it, Millie Bobby Brown from mm-hmm. like season one to like the most recent season. And I was like, okay, yeah, they've grown up a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And I think now it's the one thing that's tough about having kids on a show because, I mean, they're essentially, you know, very young teenagers. Right, right. You know, when they started. And now it's like they're getting to the point where it's like, okay, well – you know they they have other movie offers coming their way. They're right. they're starting to branch out. Like I said, I know Finn's been in Ghostbusters and yep. there's a couple other things coming out. Yep. And Millie Bobby Brown is is been another breakout star from the show as well. So all that said, they want to end things on a high note, and I think they're absolutely going to because last season was they've never had a letdown in the season. Sure, they've done some different things, and they definitely sure. borrow a lot from the '80s, but they make it happen. Like I say, Matt Dunfer and uh, Ross Duffer. They do a fantastic job with writing on the show, and they capture so many things you love about movies, and especially the 80s time period, that I know, like, if you're not familiar with the 80s, you know, if you're a younger listener, it's something that you understand the nostalgia when you see movies like Top Gun come back, mm-hmm. which 3FN did this week, great review, definitely plug those guys. You see... You, you start understanding, like, what is the big deal about it? And I think that Stranger Things has been such a big hit for Netflix that now fans are going to be flocking towards this. They're definitely going to be excited about it. And if the show is going to be ending, they want to see it go out on a high note. And if they're going to be doing a a two-and-a-half-hour finale, (laughs) my God, Jesus. i got to imagine they're killing a few people off. Everyone's going to die. they they got to do something. I mean, I don't know what they have in store, but I will definitely be locked in for that this weekend. No question about that. Drop in May 27th on Netflix. Mm Mm-hmm. So that said, let's close off talking a little comics, shall we? Sure. Big week at the comic shops. Marvel's got a huge book coming out, Legion of X. So if you're an X-Men fan, you definitely want to go pick that up. DC got uh, Batman Beyond the White Knight, uh, Sean Gordon Murphy. I mean, that's all I really need to say about that. So if if you're not familiar, you got to get familiar with that. And then we got a couple from our friends over at the Massive Verse. Uh, under Image Comics, Radiant Red number three is coming out. If you haven't been following that limited series, it's been a fun read. Rogue Sun number four by our guy Ryan Parrott uh, and Abel have been doing some huge things on that book. And I just got my copy. I got to do a reread, but the initial thought was, wow. That is where I'm going to leave you at. There's a lot of hype behind this issue four. I've been following since issue one. It definitely delivers on it. Uh, great writing and great art in that. Uh, it didn't make the cut for parlay points because they didn't send the PDF uh, our way. But, you know, like, listen, if they want to start doing that, we are more than willing to add that into the collection because it wants to join the ranks, Pat, mm-hmm. of Valiant Comics, The Harbinger Number 8. Oh, okay. Now, you know how much I love the series. I do. And this is, unfortunately, the end of the, the series right now. Sure. So I'm not sure how they're going to be coming back with it, but if you're not familiar with The Harbinger, uh, Peter Stankic is one of the most powerful people in all all of the Valiant universe. Like, think Jean Grey levels. Gotcha. Like, psionic powers. Yeah. Can yeah. do a lot of cool stuff. And is a very polarizing figure in the entire Valiant universe. I mean, he's been one of the original characters from the 90s run. Yep. Now, I mean, obviously, Harbinger is a very big franchise for Valiant. Mm-hmm. And with a movie project coming out, I imagine that we might see another book come yeah, out. And they, right. they left him in a good place. But everything that Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing and the art by Robbie Rodriguez... 
has been just phenomenal. And, and Rico Renzi, who has been on the colors for this book, has just absolutely crushed this. It has been an absolute insane trip to see what one of the most powerful minds in all of the Valiant Universe does when basically has to find out who they are and makes this dedication to be better and becomes a, becomes a beacon of hope mm. for the people of Syot City. Okay. And yet when you see who the enemy is, the renegade, and this is not really spoiler talk at this stage, I would think. Sure. He actually separated the evil from his own mind and has now become his own entity. Weird. So he's fighting himself. But yeah, it's weird, but it works. Right. Like that's the cool thing because when you start diving into like Peter's past, it's not exactly cut and dry, good, you know, pure of heart. Let's just put it that way. Right. So to see the renegade be like the evil embodiment of his emotions and, and see how they roll with that. And then you start going through all the different uses of his powers. And especially about when he was literally shot in the head a couple issues ago. Mm. And how he survives that is one of the craziest things I've ever read in comics. But this book really makes that happen. And now we're at the battle for Syot City at the end. The Renegade versus the Harbinger. Winner takes all. I will tell you right now, it definitely puts a nice closure to this current chapter there are some things that they leave hanging that i feel they're going to come back to Mm -hmm. the ending was a very surprise but but as i put on the blog this whole book has been this tale of self-discovery and self-closure while balancing everything that is the harbinger and how much powers he has because like i say when you originally read this book it has like legion from FX, mm-hmm. like that kind of artwork yeah, yeah, and that yeah. kind of trip. Definitely not the same character. I want to stress that. But definitely when you're battling your own mind through this entire uh, series and trying to figure out who you are, and then when you fully are committed to being better and just seeing how that battle goes down, it's yeah. absolutely crazy. Like I said, the ending is a very strong one. It definitely leaves a lot of things. Some people might say it's anticlimactic. Sure. I don't feel that. Because you really get a deep dive into what this book has been since day one. So like I say, some people might not get it, but I will say this. If you read since issue one and you've really seen what the battle has been because it's basically a battle of himself and to see how it's resolved, it's a very cool thing. And I will say this. When this character comes back, and note how I said when. Sure. Because there's no chance he's going to be away for that long. I would love to see Kelly Lansing and Rodriguez back on this book. Okay. I really do. I think they did such a fantastic job. This book had a totally different vibe than a lot of books that you see on the shelf. And like I say, I'm not sure what Valiant's plans are for the character in the future. I know they have a few other really cool things lined up this year. It is the year of Valiant. Book of Shadows is dropping in July. And if you're not ready for that, man, you had better get ready. The Harbinger is going to be a player, if we don't see him by the end of the year, guarantee you in 2023. And I cannot wait to see what happens next. But bravo to everybody involved with this book. It's been a phenomenal read. Yeah, Go pick up the trade paperbacks when they come out. If you haven't picked up this issue already, you should be buying it every week because it's every month because it's that damn good. So kudos to Valiant Entertainment for that. So definitely want to make sure you go pick that up. Also, coming out from Boom Studios. Shout out to them. Fantastic people over there. 
We have Power Rangers Universe number six. Oh. So this one, Pad, are you familiar with the Phantom Ranger? Uh, rings a bell, but no, I can't say I really remember specifics. A very important character in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers lore. Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, shout out to him. He did another review of him as well. And definitely, if you're not familiar with this character, this whole issue or series has been giving you his whole origin story. And it's a great read. The closing definitely delivers on it. There's a lot of moments that if you're a Power Rangers fan, you're going to be loving. Top to bottom. Like, they definitely give you a lot of emotions with this book. If you're new to the Power Rangers universe, because a lot of people are, because, you know, I remember when I first started reading this, I was like, oh, it's Power Rangers. I don't care Right, about this. right. It definitely will win you over. It's a great story. The artwork definitely pops off the page, and they leave you with a lot of good moments that you're going to be like, okay, here we go. So definitely recommend getting this series if you haven't already. If you want more information for that, I will give Tom Craven a plug at Off the Cuff Games on Twitter. You can find him in the Friends of the Show page, too, as well. We got his stuff there. And he will talk your ear off and then some about Power Rangers as well. Last on my list this week is the latest adventures of Erica Slaughter in the book that we are just going to say for this week is S-I-K-T-C. Issue 23 is out, and it's definitely picking up from her return and what is going on with the Order of St. George chasing after her while she's trying to solve a mysterious case is definitely picking up a lot of steam. James mm. Tynan is writing this, and you know he absolutely crushes it. Werther Delarita is on the artwork and definitely is doing some big things with this book. And like I say, they are doing a nice slow burn to get here, and everything they're setting up, like I say, if you read House of Slaughter, if you read past issues, you know how this book goes. It's one of the best books you can read. Definitely make sure to go pick this up when you're at the local comic shops this week. So much good stuff, man. Definitely, as always, go support your local comic shops. Go support your favorite publishers. Go support your favorite independent podcast to talk comics because we all spend a lot of time reading and giving you our best picks because we believe that much in being a fan. That all said, we gave you a lot this episode. I'm going to keep the outro very short and sweet. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, it is at odphpodcast.com. That's all we got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We will see you next time. Darkness has crept into
task at hand.